first show of 2019, and who better to have on the program than the managing editor of Bruins Daily? His name's Tim Rosenthal. Follow him on Twitter, underscore Tim Rosenthal, talking to us from Chicago, Illinois. Just was at the Winter Classic yesterday. The Bruins defeat the Blackhawks 4-2 at Notre Dame. Uh, Tim, how was the experience? I know you've been a couple times before the Winter Classic. How'd this one compare? Well, I still put Fenway 2010 the best. That was the original for the Bruins. But uh, in terms of history, in terms of the allure, in terms of the atmosphere, I think it rivals that. Uh, the one in Notre Dame, for sure. And you got to, I got to soak in the experience. For a couple of days, got to witness the uh, tunnel that the mm-hmm. teams come out of. I got to uh, see the uh, play like a champion sign and just everything associated with the camp, gorgeous campus and the stadium there. And I also think I was actually there in 2004 for a BC Notre Dame football game and the changes they, the renovations they made to the stadium and the concourses in particular between now and then have been nothing short, short but astonishing. So. What a great experience it was, and it's one I'll truly cherish for a long time. Tim, what did you, what did you think the players felt about it? I think they had a great appreciation for it. I was asking uh, several of them. Um, well, the Blackhawks in particular, they've actually had training camps in Notre Dame before at the um, Compton Family Ice Arena right across the uh, street there. That's where they actually had their practices uh, on, the, on New Year's Eve because of the rain there, so... But uh, uh, even even then, the Blackhawks really appreciated. They got to stay in the North Dame dressing room there, and it's quite the scene there uh, in the dressing room. The Bruins had a little bit cramped of a room, but at the same time, I think they really got to enjoy the uh, experience as well. And I think once the puck dropped, uh, everyone's inner child came in. <laughs> yeah, they, I mean, the game, I watched the first two periods uh... – Aaron and I had a game to call later, but uh, there was a lot of great skating. The fans were into it. Uh, they were oh, all yeah. Chicago fans, by the way, but uh, <laughs> mostly anyway. But uh, yeah, well, about an hour and a half, about a forty-five minute drive for them. Sure. Um, if you're living in Chicago, so um, not that it was overly convenient for them, but it wasn't too too far out the way and. There was a little concern at the beginning whether or not this game would sell out, but it indeed did, and became the second largest crowd to see an outdoor hockey game ever. And the Bruins had their fair share of uh, fans, too. I mean, I was traveling with a few of them on my flight over to Chicago, and I saw a bunch of Bruins jerseys hanging around the city because I imagined they had the same issues as we did, trying to find hotels in South Bend where there are fewer and far between. So they got... uh, they got lucky enough, and the rates in Chicago weren't that terrible for uh, between uh, for a three or four nights stay there. And I took advantage of that and got to enjoy the city and got to enjoy the campus. So you get the best of both worlds there. Yeah, the you know watching it uh, on TV and the ambiance and whatever, it's all about all of that. You know, there really aren't any good seats for an outdoor game to a hockey game, but. Uh, it's just being there and experiencing and watching must have been fantastic. Yeah, and the higher you are, it, whenever you have an outdoor hockey game, you want to be more higher up where, with your seats. If you're that close, you're not going to see the puck. You might see the players, for sure. I don't think you'll get that vantage point of that. But I was walking around the 
stadium earlier, and you and I was in the front row trying to take a selfie there after two 6 a.m. straight days of 6 a.m. wake-up calls. I think that was a mistake on my part there. But uh, you could see the vantage point wasn't very, very good at all. But you've got, uh, you had a bit closer experience to the players, I think, uh, there. But at the same time, yeah, the atmosphere and the um, aura around uh, any outdoor game like this and from 70, 80,000 people, I think that's, the biggest takeaway out that then any of the on ice stuff that happened. You know what though? The Bruins have plenty of takeaway from their victory as well. Yeah, I thought uh, they kind of went to sleep in the second period, but I thought uh, the first and the third they played a little better and and uh, they got the key goals. There isn't any question. Yeah, and the biggest goal I think came late in the second period when Patrice Bergeron he prevented that back check yeah. there prevented the. Uh, Blackhawks from taking a two-goal lead, and then he goes down the other end of the ice, yeah, get a couple lucky bounces, and he pounces on loose puck, gets a greasy goal, and just like that, you're tied, and you have momentum into the locker room. That's the game-changing moment. And that just um, describes Patrice Bergeron in a nutshell, what he means to this Bruins team and why he's won four straight Selkies. And you heard Tuka Rask after the game. Um, we're asking him about that moment and about uh, the Bergeron moment there, and the, the what once Bergeron uh, ended his uh, answer uh, to that question, I rest here a couple times that Selkie, Selkie, before I even had the chance to ask him what was going through his mindset there. But it just sums up what he means to Bruins and why he's the best two-way forward of all time. Yeah, you know, because we were talking about it sitting there, my wife and daughter and I were all hockey people, but. Uh... Doc Emmerich said the same thing uh, on NBC. He said, wow, th- th- take a look at this clip. And he sh- they showed the, the sequence all the way through. And that- he said exactly the same thing. There's a reason that that uh, people recognize him as, as probably the best two-way player ever. Yeah, and that's a clip you guys show to some of your younger uh, hockey players, right? And even Bruce Cassidy sure. that postgame. So. You know, you're never out of a play, even if you have a breakaway. You know, just ask Patrice Bergeron, who's done it time and time again. The uh, uh, We were talking before we went on the air. I was saying to Aaron, the, the, uh, this year the Bruins, it looks to me like they've got to go back to somewhat of what I would say was the old-style Bruins, where it's lunch pail AC. They, other than the first line, they don't have any snipers, so... They need to outwork the other team, and it's really obvious when they show up to a game and they don't outwork the other team, it's tough for them to win. Yeah, you saw that earlier in the season. I think um, even with Bergeron, it was a two-man show. It was Marcia and Pasternak, and whenever they didn't show up, the teams had an easier night for them. But um, now they have the top line. You have to brush back, which helps. They scored some timely goals. during the course of the season there. I think Krejci's had a pretty good year, but you do definitely need a second-line winner to come in. You need some help on the bottom six as well. The fourth line, though, they played pretty well the last two games. And you saw Sean Crowley score the game winner there, had a nice celebration. I think you should keep on the shield. He scored the game yeah, winner uh, right. two games in a row there. So, uh, yeah, I think they have a pretty decent fourth line. That third line and then... Uh, try to find center for a third line and then looking for a second skin line winner to, for Krejci and Dubrovka. I know we've said it time and time again, but it's worth repeating. That's the 
Bruce's biggest area uh, they need to address that uh, come the trade deadline. You know, it's funny you miss a, you mentioned the third line. I swear, the years that they've been really good, it's been the third line. You know, almost everybody can put together some sort of a first line that's, you know, decent, if not really good. And the second line, eh, sometimes it's a defensive line, you know, whatever. It's the third line, that, to me, that makes the difference, that puts you over the top. And they they haven't had it this year. They they haven't been able to figure out. They, and they tried everybody. i got to give Cassidy and, and Sweeney props for that. They've brought everybody in and tried them. But almost looks to me like they really do need to make some sort of a move before the trade deadline. Yes, in particular for that third line, Roland Sierra mentioned. I think the biggest need there is the third line center. You heard uh, Charlie Coyle's name uh, linked in the past. He is a local guy, so there might be a little bit concerned there how he would perform in front of his uh, friends and family because we've seen over the years how local guys haven't performed as well. Jimmy Hayes being one of them, who they thought would be a pretty decent third liner, and that didn't happen. But Going back to your point, you saw in 2011 when they won the Cup, look at that third line you had. Chris Kelly, Michael Ryder, and Rich Peverly. How many game-changing moments did they deliver yeah. during the playoffs? So, sure did. Yeah, I, I agree. You got, I think, it, well, it's not like the end of the world if you don't have a third line. It's very, very important for sure. Uh, so, again, you and I, have, I've asked you this question each week, and I'll continue to ask it. <laughs> what are you hearing on the trade front? Any Anything kind of brewing, or are they just still um, waiting? Um, well, uh, you'll hear more and more, I think. Um, the trade deadline's on February 25th, which uh, actually happens to be my birthday, so happy uh-huh. birthday to me. Wait. Uh, yeah. But, but, yeah, I think you're going to hear the same names until the ARDs are moved elsewhere or right up to the trade deadline. The same names include Jeff Carter, uh, Wayne Simmons, who I personally think would be a good fit for the Bruins, a big power forward. And I think he would be a big favorite here in a heartbeat. And um, but those are two big names right now. I'm here in the market. I would love to see Artemi Panarin too. If you're looking at a second line winner, I think he's your guy. He's a, in Columbus. He's a free agent at the end of the year. I don't know if they're going to resign him, but Columbus being where they are right now in the standings, I don't think they're tempted to get rid of him right away either. So, but that'll be interesting to see for sure because. The Burns uh, do have some young guys, and they do have some depth on defense that they can use in trade, I think. Tim, I, I read somewhere, don't ask me where, um, that not only has McAvoy been dinged up a little bit, that, but he's been, um, I don't want to use the word lazy, but that I, I've read late for meetings, uh, late for getting on the bus to head wherever they were going, um, is is that becoming an issue? What are you hearing about that? I have not heard, um, well, the injuries part, first and foremost. Sure. You hear about him being soft. I don't think that's the case at all. Um, you look at what happened last year when he missed a few games with his heart condition, and doctors even said that's something that can happen again. I don't think that's been the case at all, uh, but uh, that's something worth watching. Uh, going forward, for sure. And then in terms of this concussion, obviously you missed, um, what, 18, 19 games out of that. You have not quite question his toughness there. And then he takes a puck to the leg, still a little sore. He's going, he missed the past few games there. Hopefully um, he recovers sooner rather than later. I don't see him returning tomorrow because the Burns have the day off today and he won't have the benefit of the practice. 
uh, before he, I think he needs at least one before going back into the lineup. And that's what Cassie usually does with his injured players as well. But in terms of being late to meetings, I haven't heard of that, but I'm not going to deny the report either. But at the same time, it's a little sketchy for sure, whether it's the reporting or whether this is actually true or not. Although you'd be one that would kind of sense that if you, you know, being around them as much. So maybe there's nothing to it, but I have read that, uh, that it was reported that he, they're frustrated with him because he has been late and that kind of thing. So be interested to see what happens with that. Yeah, I guess it's worth watching over the next month or two for sure. All right. Well, Tim Rosenthal, managing editor of Bruins Daily. It's featured on Boston.com. Follow him on Twitter at underscore Tim Rosenthal. Thanks so much for joining us here on the B-List Daily with our weekly Bruins update. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, fellas. I'll talk to you guys next week. All right. Take care, Tim.